Welcome back to the 411 Podcasting Network. I am your host, Larry Zonka, and this is episode 81 of the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. You can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, 411mania.com, and any major podcasting platform. Please make sure to subscribe to our show, share us around on social media, and if you have time, please leave us a five-star review on the podcasting platform of your choice. Back from his Sunday off is Jeremy Lambert joining me today. Jeremy, how are you, my friend? I'm tired. It was a long Wrestle Kingdom weekend, three nights, three early nights or late nights, depending on how you look at it. I feel like I'm getting sick, but I'm alive, and that's what matters. That's all that matters. Yeah, it was a, it was a long weekend. I thought it was a great weekend, and uh, you didn't get to do the show Sunday, which I got to do with Ian Hamilton from BackBodyDrop.com. We had a really good time. Um, I thought, again, great weekend. I know you wanted to share some Wrestle Kingdom thoughts here before we get into Dash, so uh, what would you like to talk about? Hiromo and Osprey ruled the great Sasuke, the Sasuke special spot was amazing, absolutely amazing. Uh, Kota and Okada ruled the finishing stretch. was awesome. Serial killer Kota is awesome. And Naito and Okada also ruled. And I don't know if I can pick a favorite out of those three, but I want to go with Okada and Kota. Um, just, I don't know, that closing stretch just really, really got to me. And again, serial killer Kota. O- Okada with the thighs? Why, why was he not wearing these shorts his entire career? This is a good-looking man, Larry. Well, I know. I mean, they really should have also labeled this match a handsome battle. Yeah. Like, like the Cody and Cody match from years ago. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, yeah, Okada busting out the extra short short boys this time for Wrestle Kingdom. He's feeling cheeky. He's He's got to wear those just all the time moving forward. That's a, that's a very good-looking man. And, yeah, uh, Naito winning, which was, I, I guess, the, the plan all along. And, you know, we discussed how maybe the time had passed. But, I mean, when he, he won – Crowd was into it. Crowd was him. Crowd was into him the whole time. So I, I think in the end it turned out to be the the right call. And I, I'm not sure they could have really made a mistake because the the company is really hot right now. And you know they shot the angle with Kenta and everything. So it was a I mean it was a long two shows, but some some excellent excellent wrestling highlighted by the the three matches that i mentioned but there were some other good match the the junior heavyweight tag team title match was really good um liger retiring the the legends match was a lot better than i thought it was going to be those old guys worked their asses off and sasuke got killed on a kick um and liger retiring so just long weekend but still a lot of great stuff from it yeah, I mean, I real I enjoyed the hell out of the weekend. The three matches you mentioned, I loved each of them. I went the full boat five stars on all three of those, and I just I, I was in love with all three of them for different reasons. Um, Mary, Mary, fuck, kill Okada, Kota, Okada, Naito, and Osprey and Hiromu. Uh, um, probably marry that Okada Bushi match. Uh, probably, probably fuck Hiromu and Will's match. And, uh, unfortunately, I mean, the Naito match is such a great moment and everything, but like, I, I, I think that out of the three, I like, I liked it the least, even though I went five on it, if you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I mean, I think it was, like you said, though, it's, it's a great moment. And I think the, so people don't take the, get the total wrong idea. When we talked about, 
it being too late. I, we never thought it was too late for the moment. It was more, is it still the right time to give Naito any kind of substantial title run? With, I mean, he's honestly, he's been a little broken down the past couple of years. He's feeling the effects of his career and everything. And that was, I think, our big major concern. But yeah, you can't dispute the moment at the end. I mean, it was huge. And it's even better. If you look on Twitter, there's some fan videos from the Dome. And it's fucking, there's one from like really far back, like probably like the first level up, but you see all the floor seats and everybody's like half sitting and stuff. And then you hear the one, two, three, and it fucking, everybody just erupts up and it's, it's such a great visual. And it was obviously, obviously a tremendous moment. It's a culmination really And Ian and I talked about this. When you think about it, it goes back even further than the two years. It goes back really almost seven years to when they had the the dome show to where they voted on what the main event was going to be and Naito was voted out of the main event. And it goes back and it's this huge character arc and you brought up the Kenta thing. And I saw a lot of people sour on this. What did you think of that? Um I wasn't really like I wasn't that sour. I thought it was a because it created such good heat that I I really liked it. You know, if if the crowd had just been like dead silent and um, more upset than angry that we didn't get the big Naito celebration, then it would have it would have seemed like a misfire. But like Kenta, he got really good heat out of it, and Kevin Kelly sold it really well. That man didn't awesome job i, I really like the four-man announce booth the the entire uh two nights I, you know wwe does the three-man announce booth and it sucks most of the time and you you get this four-man booth and i thought they pulled it off really well i think um, i think but, kevin kelly did an excellent job producing those guys because they weren't stomping all over each other all night no they they all had to find roles like you know Kevin Kelly's the play by play guy Charlton is like he gives all the backstory the history and everything for fans that don't know Rocky when when he was there is kind of the guy with the in ring experience is the baby face and then Gino was the in ring experience heel so they play off of each other like they all had really nice uh, to to find roles and I think that helped as well where in WWE it's like all right you got your play-by-play guy you got your color guy the other person is just there to try to sneak in lines when they can and if it's someone like renee young she like that's not what she's good at when samoa joe was doing commentary it worked because joe can give you uh it's a a similar dynamic because i think the three-man booth with with joe uh lawler and vic joseph wasn't too bad and it's because if you have two like really good color guys uh who have been in the ring and can add that perspective it works a lot better than unfortunately for ray renee young who doesn't have the wrestling experience and that just wasn't the the suited role for her so she couldn't add kind of that perspective from things i agree and i like the kenta thing because for the one complaint is well he just lost his title how does he get to get a title shot well he's gonna get a title shot because he kicked a shit of naito and ruined his fucking moment and then for the people that were complaining about that he didn't get his celebration moment he got the moment he got his title when that was the moment everybody wanted I don't think anybody really cared about the celebration. Yeah, it's nice when he does the little roll call and they all celebrate. But the fact is, this came off really well. Because if you look again at Naita's whole character arc, since LIJ started and he changed from the Stardust dude to 
uh, you know, into Los Ingobernable Naito, nothing has ever been easy for him. He has moments of validation and celebration, and then he has just as many roadblocks and things that ruin the moments thrown in his way. And that's kind of what makes the Naito character work, I think. So I think that's why it came off really well. And like you said, it would have been different if the crowd sh- if the crowd shit on it or if the crowd was silent, then it doesn't work. But Kenta got like legit heat. They fucking hated him. And as we're going to talk when we talk about Dash, that carried over into Dash big time as well. Yeah. Um, and one last thing on the Kenta attack. Where was LIJ? <laughs> They Bushi just sauntered down after Kenta's already kicked this man's ass. Like, where where the hell were you guys? Bullet Club locked him in the locker room with a forklift. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, angle. at least that <laughs> at least that makes sense. Like, give, give me something though. Like, where where were these guys? Tell me that they were drunk because they'd all won titles except for poor Sonata. They'd all won <laughs> titles earlier uh, in the weekend and stuff. Like, give me give me something that they couldn't be out there to to help their man. Yeah, I hope we do get an explanation. But I mean, again, it's the angle came off extremely well, I, and I really liked it. And the thing is, too, is like. The other thing is, I think here's my thing is uh, I try to try not to stumble here, but I think people would have been pissed if they would have right away said, "Okay, Okada had this great match, and Naito's like, I'm gonna give Okada a rematch." They would have been like, "Fuck again," and then if they would have been like, "Okay, we're to give Ibushi a match," well, fucking Ibushi lost, and we've seen that recently, so it's like you don't want to see that either, really, and then you don't want to see the Jay White match either because he just beat Jay White. So you need someone else to step up to be that first challenger, to be the guy that loses tonight, to, to kick off his run. And Kenta got great heat out of it, and I think it's going to work well. Poor Goto. All this guy had to do was go out there and attack this man. Like, you beat Kenta. Go go, go! just attack Naito. If, if, if Goto had known it was that easy, he would have done it. Goto was drunk with, Sanada, or with um, Shingo and Evil, man. They were partying in the back with their new titles, cheering beers with Moxley. I guess. So, by the way, on night two, what did you think of the Suzuki Moxley standoff, dude? Oh, that was my favorite moment on all two nights. Like, just Moxley, you know, talking his shit after uh, beating Juice, and Moxley, you know, was coming off two really good matches and good performances, and he's talking this shit like he owns Tokyo Dome and owns New Japan, and then fucking suzuki's music hits and he come out there and he rips off his uh track pants and his uh jacket and he's ready to fuck shit up with moxley and moxley oh yeah i can't wait for this. the best thing was is they set this up so well on night one because when suzuki gun came out for that eight-man tag they didn't play suzuki's music and everybody was like oh what the fuck and then there's been speculation for like six months that suzuki might be on his way out of new japan so everybody's like, well, they didn't play Suzuki's music. He wasn't focused on in the match at all. And like, he's not involved in night two. And so then the big speculation was, are they going to like boot him on a Suzuki gun on dash? And then he's going to be done. And then on night two, that music hits dude. And holy shit, that place went fucking nuts. They're singing along. Suzuki does. He comes out, he saunters out. He has that maniacal smile on his face. Rips off the track suit. Shit was on. 
That was great. I was I was into that big time. I thought that was awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it was it definitely was awesome. Like that again, that was my favorite moment of the the entire two nights because it was those two guys rule and you know moxley wanted to work with suzuki and so i'm glad he's getting that chance and i mean i'm sure suzuki will will have fun with moxley as well because moxley will he can take it oh yeah uh anything else on wrestle kingdom before we move on jeremy Uh, i don't think so that was that was pretty much the the big kind of happenings there so i'm good all right so we'll move on to new year's dash uh, we'll kind of run through this whole thing here uh, again because I already did Wrestle Kingdom with Ian. Um, so New Year's Dash is uh, it's always the show that you either get like a really huge angle or they set up a ton of shit. And we didn't get necessarily a huge angle, but they set up a ton of stuff on this show. Uh, the first thing first, though, is we started off with the Jushin Liger retirement ceremony. Liger, again, going out, total legend, opening matches every night, opening opening up the show with the retirement ceremony because, in his opinion, he didn't think he deserved to be in the main event because everybody else was staying. And I thought this was really great. Liger's out there in his gear, his babyface roster's out, and they're celebrating with him in the ring and taking photos. He gets presented flowers, there's handshakes and hugs for all. And then, like, the uh, the random assemblage of babyfaces left and chaos arrived. And we got more flowers and handshakes, the big group photo op, and Big Kaz Okada also had to pull out a cell phone to get a big group selfie, which I died at. <laughs> yeah, Okada's out here taking mark pics with Niger. So, and then we got some New Japan officials appearing for flowers and handshakes. Liger's wife and son arrived, and that, that started breaking people right there. You read the timelines on Twitter and stuff. That's where people were losing it. And it didn't get any better because his family comes out and he's embracing with them. And then they show Tanahashi crying. And it's like, oh, it's getting misty in here, Jeremy. Onion's being cut. They shot to the big screen. We got a big message from Antonio Inoki to Liger. And that led to Liger taking the mic, talking about his final, um, his debut in Tokyo Dome and finishing up the uh, day before. He was grateful for his entire 31 years in the crowd. The wrestler Liger is finished, but New Japan will carry on and continue to grow and thrive without him. Um, He said the other thing about last night was um, that his mother was there and she was also at Dash and they showed Mama Liger up in the crowd. Um, then he said to his wife and son, I've made you lonely for 31 years, but now I'm coming home and you have to deal with me. So thank you all. They did a 10 bell salute for his career. They played the Liger theme music and everybody's hugging in the ring. Tanahashi gets in to stop the music for a minute. And then he told the crowd to sing along. And then Tanahashi and Liger did some karaoke to close it out. It was fucking great. It was it was a fantastic ceremony. I'm glad they didn't shoot any type of an angle off of this. And people were worried about it. I didn't think they were going to, but you you never know. And people were, were certainly worried about it, but it didn't happen. Just yeah, a great ceremony with everybody celebrating the the life and times of, of Jushin Liger. And now he can ride off with losses under his belt. This big old loser losing in his final matches. Um, it, it was a it was a great ceremony and I, I liked the Okada selfie where he and the Tanahashi tried to get people singing and they weren't knowing this song. When when Tanahashi retires, uh people will sing along to his song a lot better. 
Probably, yeah. And I, I agree. I'm also glad that there was no angle and it was just a, a nice, pure, wholesome moment. I mean, obviously, I think if they asked Liger to do an angle, you know he would have done it and got laid out by somebody. But I'm glad that they didn't. And, uh, yeah, just it was great. A, a great culmination to a career and weekend for him. They could have they could have had Kenta do it, so you set up another Kenta match that can't take place. Yeah, I think a lot of people were waiting for Phantasmo to do something. Because he's been on Liger's case since, like, Super J-Cup and stuff like that. And after they lost their match on night two, they were doing interviews backstage. And he's like, yeah, we lost and blah, 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 but we're still going to be around. So Liger can go fuck off and go home now. (laughs) (laughs) He's such a dick. So, but, uh, yeah, a lot of people were expecting that. But, again, thankfully we didn't get it. So we moved on to the uh, the in-ring action. We started off with uh, Young Lions and Hanari in action. Carl Fredericks, Coughlin, and uh, Clark Connors defeated uh, Hanari, Uemura, and Suji, 10:45 via submission. Thought it was a good little opening match. Lions always work with great intensity. I was actually only... The only thing I... The only real takeaway, I guess, is I was surprised Hanari didn't win after he picked up a win at the Dome. Yeah, I got no problem with Fredericks winning. I think that's... The guy no, I have they, no problem with it. It's just I was a little surprised. Right, right. Fredericks is a guy they clearly see as a star um, move, moving forward for the next however long. He's probably going to get maybe a big match or two on the uh, USA cards whenever those things get announced, even though they take place in like two weeks. Um, yeah, Hanare looked good, though, in this match. And I, I really like Fredericks and Hanare. I think they're going to be big players for, for New Japan. And a lot of these guys looked really good. And then, of of course, you got uh, Shota um, coming back at, at some point from his excursion. And Ren as well. My boy Ren coming back from excursion at some point. Yeah, you have Ren Narita is on excursion in the UK along with Hikaleo and uh, the great Okarn, which was uh, Oko. And Narita is in... Um us right now and then we also have uh kawato who's still in cmll so uh all will eventually come back at some point and uh right now i mean i am digging that they're getting the again the new japan or the uh, la dojo lions on more cards like they have throughout the second half of 2019 i thought that was really important for those guys because while i think shibata's done a great job with them i mean you're only going to learn so much in dojo training and some indie stuff as opposed to getting on the regular Japan cards, which is why you see the New Japan Lions progress so quickly because, yeah, they're losing every night in nine, ten-minute matches, but they're always working with experienced guys and always getting that chance to grow, which the LA Lions really need, and I'm glad that they've gotten it. I think that's super important going forward. They get claw-chopped by Kojima every night. That's right. Uh, We uh, moved on next to a rare four-way match. Which, you know, I, it's New Year's Dash, and as long as you don't do them all the time, I think it's a fun idea to do just to mix things up. Junior tag teams, uh, Desperado and Kenamaru defeated Rapongi 3K, Bushi and Hiromu, and Ishimori and Phantasmo at 1350, with uh, Despi and Kenamaru pinning 3K. Uh, they pinned show, actually, and um, so that should set up a tag title match moving forward. Your thoughts on the match, Jeremy? Yeah, it set up the the future program for the new champions and now their new challengers. It was a good match. I mean, they they took it easy compared to uh, the the tag team bout between Bullet Club and Rapongi the night before. And I, I can't really say that I blame them. Um, but overall, like this was a a match to to get some other stuff set up, and it worked. 
Yeah, I thought it was really good. I thought it was fun. And uh, again, I don't want New Japan busting out triple threats and four ways all the time, but throwing it like on Dash like this, I think it's a good idea because Dash is always a special card and does some different things. So I thought it was a fine idea for the night. And again, they, they I like that they went to, with new challengers right away as well instead of going back to Ishimori and Phantasma right away. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, I mean, they need some teams in these divisions. And next up, we had Kota Ibushi, Hiroshi Tanahashi, Juice Robinson, and David Finley defeating the Bullet Club team of the Gorillas of Destiny, Chase Owens, and Bad Luck Fallet, uh, 1145 via pin. Thought they had a good little match. Kota picked up a rebound win. And the important thing was, is I was afraid that they were going to have the Gorillas of Destiny win to set up an immediate tag title rematch, which they didn't because the Babyfaces won and then post-match, Jeremy, it appears we have a new tag team in the Golden Aces of Kota Ibushi and Tanahashi, and they challenged Finn Juice for a tag title match and signed me up for that. Yeah, Kota's cheating on Kenny. A year later, he's gotten over him. He's got a, got a new best friend, the man who defeated Kenny in Kenny's last New Japan match. Um, another kind of paint-by-numbers match for me. And again, these, especially Kota, like, I don't know how Coda was still alive after the weekend he had. Like he deserved to to take the night off. And Tanahashi worked a, a tough match against Jericho. So and and uh, Juice worked two matches over the weekend. So the, these guys, it it was a you know it was a, a solid effort, but they clearly weren't weren't giving a a full effort in there. But as you said, the the big thing coming out of this was Coda uh, and Tanahashi now kind of downgrading themselves into the the tag team division. But it's good because we've talked about it many times. There's not much going on in these tag divisions, and, and so if you can take two stars like Kota and Tanahashi and put them down there for a couple of months, let some other guys filter into the main event as well. You know, let let Juice and and Finley get a an established rivalry with two of the biggest stars in the company. I think that helps as well. So I, I liked uh, what they did here. I do too. I saw some people complaining about it, and I, I don't see why because my feeling was. Like Tanahashi and Okada and uh, Ibushi lost at the Dome. You know, they're directionless right now. It's like, what do they do? So they come together, they, they have this match, they win, and then they're like, you know what? We didn't win the big titles or anything. We didn't win at Wrestle Kingdom. Let, let's do this. And I'm fine for the occasional superstar tag team being made. And like I said, and you said, the tag team divisions need a lot of work. I have no problem with this. It might be a short-term thing. If it's a little longer-term, that's okay, too. Uh, and if Finn Juice end up beating them first match out for their tag title run, that's fucking huge for those guys. They're a really good tag team. They're really fun. And th- I think they'll have a. they'll probably have a great match, I think. Yeah, I think they'll. I think they'll have a really great match too. I mean, you know, Coda's going to work hard. You you know, Juice and and Finley in this spot. I mean, they're going to work hard on on most nights, but certainly in this spot, they're going to work hard. And Tanahashi's Tanahashi. Like anything he does is going to get over if because he only has to do half the the heavy lifting here. He'll probably have more in the tank too. So exactly, it, it'll it'll probably be a really good match. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, and we should have match uh, stuff coming up for the New Beginning stuff in the next couple days, I believe. Uh, sticking with uh, possible additions to the tag team division, even though they built singles matches out of this, we had a fucking great match up next as Shingo yeah. and Evil 
defeated Big Tom Ishii and Hiroki Goto 640 via pin. Jeremy, your thoughts? Love this match. I want to see a, a triple threat out of it between Shingo, Goto, and Ishii. Sorry, Evil. But like that's the match that I want to see. And I know New Japan rarely does triple threat matches, but... Man, I would lo- really love to see that match. These boys, they did not take the night off. They went out there, and they, they were looking to murder each other and, and hit each other very hard, and that's exactly what they did. A, a stiff match, but a really good match, really good action. Um, I like what they're, you know, Shingo, he's a never six-man champion now, and, like, no one cares about that uh, stupid titles. Even the announcers are making fun how these things never get defended uh but i I like him going after the the open weight title because we've talked about for a while like that open weight title should be open weight and i know shingo technically moved up to to heavyweight but there can be a potential bridge there um and like that's that's what i want to see i want to see that bridge into some juniors getting that never open weight title shot yeah, that would definitely be great. Um, I thought the match was great. Just a great Haas battle. Never slowed up. And the important stuff, obviously, it sets up Shingo to challenge Goto as he pinned him here. The work was just so good throughout. The action had an awesome sense of urgency to it. And it was one of those matches that reminds you that when New Japan wants to, they can do tag team wrestling really well. Um, the matches have played perfectly off the past singles battles between all these four guys. Uh, revisiting Goto and Shingo makes complete sense because they had great matches. Um, I'm all on board Shingo getting some kind of singles push, obviously, this year. Looks like we may also get um, Evil versus Ishii in a revisit as well, which was a good feud and they had great matches. And on a, you know, I guess on a side note, while not a perfect solution, I would not hate these guys ending up in the tag ranks occasionally. Because Shingo yeah. and Evil were fucking great. Number one, they were great. Number two, it's different than Evil and Sonata. And Ishii and Goto are a great tag team as well. And it's better than the Ishii or Yoshihashi tag team. So it's like, you could do a lot there. So I like it a lot. Shingo made the official challenge post-match. And again, uh, possibly coming up on the uh, New Beginning stuff. Love it. Yeah. Um, getting the match was great. Set up some more stuff. That's what this show was about. Setting up the future. That's right. Uh, we had a big eight man tag up next. Uh, big Kaz Okada, Will Ospreay, Robbie Eagles, and Yoshihashi defeated Minoru Suzuki, Lance Archer, Zack Saber Jr., and Tai Chi fifteen forty via DQ. Um, the DQ came when Tai Chi busted out the iron fingers and nailed Okada with it. Uh, I really liked this match, not as much as the previous match, but I thought it was really good, it was fun, and again, we set things up, they set up Okada and Tai Chi, which Okada lost the title, he's not going to go right back for it, so you need to get him into some kind of feud, and we, as we saw last year, Tai Chi, when he's more serious and dangerous tea, he does deliver. So they set up Okada and Tai Chi, they set up, looks like they were setting up Zack and Will for a match as well. And uh, I think that's really great because they they did a lot of stuff in the UK and they haven't done it in um, New Japan because they were always in separate divisions. So I think it's uh, very interesting that they may move forward with that. Yeah, another another multi-man tag match that set up some stuff. Okada and Tai Chi, I think, can be good as long as Tai Chi is ready to work um, and he doesn't play the bullshit heel um stalling gimmick nonsense that no one likes 
Osprey and Zack Sabre will be awesome if that's the direction that they're going to go. And it, and it certainly looks like it as well. So another just they're, they're setting up stuff for the future. And I like this match. Um, some guys, Osprey took it easy. He heads the reported heel injury. He like he did that hot start and then he was kind of donezo. Okada uh, kind of a little bit faded into the background because he, he had a rough weekend. But that like that's what you're going to see out of uh, Dash sometimes, is especially since they did two nights here. Well, I was going to say, yeah, especially because Okada worked like fucking 70 minutes on two nights. So, <laughs> man yeah. needs a break for sure. And Robbie Eagles worked the bulk of it. He was a great babyface yes. apparel. Yeah, Robbie Eagles was really good, and he was a guy who, who didn't have a big weekend, so he had a little bit more in the tank. Yeah, uh, and then post-match, we had a big angle. Tai Chi was looking to lay out Okada with the last ride, but John Moxley arrived, and I don't think a lot of people were expecting Mox to still be in Japan on Monday, but he arrived and he came face-to-face face with Suzuki. They talked some shit. They brawled a bit. Moxley laughed at Suzuki. They slapped each other. They beat the hell out of each other, and Moxley hit the Death Rider to lay him out and got some revenge for Wrestle Kingdom Night 2. And the best part about this is, is not just that it was two guys kicking the shit out of each other, but it's such a simple and pure pro wrestling build. Suzuki is a bastard. John Moxley is an asshole. They both like beating the shit out of people. Suzuki sees that John Moxley has a championship, lays him out, beats the shit out of him. I want your title. It's not fucking rocket science. You don't need a bunch of shit and authority figures making a match. That's all you need for me, you know? No, it doesn't even like, the title aspect doesn't even like doesn't feel like a factor to me. I I feel like it's just Suzuki sees this dude who thinks he's tough shit and the the toughest man in the company and he's like fuck that that's me I'm gonna go murder him like that's the story to me it's just like one guy is a legit badass and he knows it and he knows he's just yeah he's he was the bastard I think you you mentioned uh and he sees this other guy who is you know he thinks he's all coming in here and he's gonna run the territory and Suzuki's like no like Fuck that nonsense. I'm going to come in here and whoop your ass if you think you're so tough. Like, that's the story. It's awesome. So, again, this this match and post-match segment, again, a lot of work. You set up Okada and Taichi, probably Zack and Will, and then you continue to build to the Suzuki versus Moxley match. So, again, good work being done to set up future stuff. Yeah. And then our main event was uh, Kenta and Jay White versus Naito and Sonata. Naito and Sonata won at 14.05 via pin. I uh, thought they had a good little match. Obviously, nobody working super hard because everybody worked a lot over the weekend. Um, nothing wrong with it. Uh, some decent floor brawling and stuff like that. And uh, the big thing was the post-match where Jay White low-blowed Sonata. Kenta beat the shit out of Naito. They got chairs and beat him down. Then they took the mic and celebrated and everything. And uh, Jay White said he wanted to bring Sonata back to reality and beat his ass. Kenta mocked Naito. And uh, yeah, so again, we set up another match. Sonata and Jay White, both guys looking for momentum to get back near title shots. And continuing Kenta and Naito, which they started at night two of the Dome. So again, um, not a match you have to go out of your way to see, but I thought it was good enough. And the post-match was the important stuff because... You set up another match and you continued another feud, which is what this show did really well, I thought. Yeah, um, Sonata winning, pinning Jay White. I think uh, people thought that was kind of an upset. I like, I didn't fully expect it, but at the same of the but at the same time, it wasn't something that 
it completely shocked me because you weren't having Naito lose Jay White. I guess he could take a loss, but you're probably not like beating Kenta here either. I think the general consensus was that Sonata would lose, but yeah, that didn't happen. And he pinned Jay White, and so that sets up that program. You got the potential dissension in the Bullet Club. A lot of people are predicting that and i mean they seemed on the same page here jay white said like you didn't think i know that was gonna happen like i basically saying like i ordered that hit like you know everything's good um and so another match that, that set up some some stuff for the future yeah um ian and i lightly talked about the bullet club stuff it will be interesting to see if that ends up being kind of like a story throughout the year and if uh you know, because I think a lot of people think it'll eventually be Jay White ousted at some point, but we'll see what happens. It'll be interesting, and I think you can, um, you know, they like you said, they acted like everything was cool, but you know, Gato was still p- pulling the all for one thing at the beginning, you know, and you know, it's. I was like, I thought I had a really good. Uh, I hate when I lose track of my thoughts. I should have written more shit down. But anyway, it's like, you know, both of these guys are bastards. You know they're not going to stay on the same level. And if Jay White doesn't get back to the title soon, or at least in the mix for it, um, it'll be interesting to see if he snaps or if he's ousted or how they do it. I think there's some good possibilities for storytelling there. I'm kind of looking forward to that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Overall, though, I thought uh, Dash was a really good show. Um Good in the ring all night. You set up uh, Suzuki Gun versus Rapongi 3K, Finjuice versus Golden Aces, Shingo versus Goto, Evil versus Ishii, Taichi versus Okada, Will versus Zack, Sonata versus Jay. You continued Moxley and Suzuki as well as uh, Naito and uh, Kenta. Uh, I think just a quality night of work coming out of Wrestle Kingdom. I mean, you had two excellent Wrestle Kingdom shows. And then, I mean, obviously, Dash is never going to be on that level. But I thought it was a really good, really strong show that served a lot of masters to set up things moving forward, which is what it needed to be. It definitely set up a a lot of things moving forward, pretty much all the major title programs, which is uh, a big thing. Yeah, the the wrestling work wasn't on the level of the uh, Wrestle Kingdom stuff, but that's to be expected. A lot of these guys wrestled tough matches at least one of the nights some of these guys wrestled two nights so it was a long weekend for those guys and and we still got the the great tag team match with uh shingo and evil against ishii and goto so like there still was an, a really excellent tag team match on this show that you should go out of your way to see there was no big angle um you know people mentioned like oh look they they did all of this stuff like yes i I agree they did all of this stuff none of this stuff was on the level of you know aj getting kicked out of bullet club return of suzuki goon even jericho's attack which was a big surprise like moxley people didn't expect him but they knew he'd be back in new japan because he has the title like after jericho lost to kenny people thought that was it like it's just like okay we're not going to see jericho in new japan this was just a complete one-off for him and then he showed up the next night at dash attack naito and uh jay white turning down bullet club as well like those are four big angles they've shot in the past few years and they didn't really do anything last year and you know maybe the elite was supposed to be on that and they they didn't really do a big angle to that level this year as well they did a lot of stuff they just didn't have that that big big angle that i think people have maybe come to expect and now it's two years without it so if they do it next year it might come off a little bit bigger yeah and i, I agree with that it, might, it probably will if they end up doing something next year but 
And I know I saw some people not happy that there wasn't the quote unquote big angle, but again, I thought that they did a lot of great work to set stuff up on the show, and I think that sometimes that's more important than like just the big angle. Yeah, because sometimes you can do the big angle, but maybe you're not setting up a ton of stuff other than that. So I mean, I'll take it. I'll take a night of overall good in ring action with a ton of programs set up because I, I think that's your goal because you got big shows coming up. I don't think it's a bad thing that there wasn't a, a huge angle on this show because they did do a lot of different things that were, were good. So it, it clicked with me. You know, I definitely thought Sonata maybe turning. Uh, that was that was a big hint or a big kind of thing people were pushing on Mon and I could see it. I feel like they're doing something with Sonata with, you know, everybody at LIJ won gold over the weekend except him. He failed to beat uh, Zack Sabre. You know, he did beat Jay White. So that is a, a good sign. But they will see when it comes uh, to Sonata. But, you know, I've been high on him for a while and I, he needs something. He needs that needs that push, needs that title, just need, needs that big victory, whatever it is. And th- this could be an opportunity to really do something with him, with him not having gold in LIJ. It'll be interesting. A lot of people seem to think that this will be the year he gets some kind of big push and made a big deal. And we will see. And you could do a lot of interesting things because, you know, we've speculated in the past about a possible LIJ split or just maybe someone leaving. And, um, I mean, you kind of have the setup here with him being the only one without gold. That could be the start of it. And, I mean, we'll see going forward. But, yeah, a lot of interesting possibilities between that and the maybe Bullet Club splitting with uh, White and Kenta on top battling out for control. So, who knows? Yeah. So, all right, uh, we got a busy weekend coming up, Jeremy. We uh, already talked about NXT UK um, Blackpool, and um, we have a pay per view Sunday night as well. Impact Wrestling Hard to Kill 2020. Uh, what appears to be to me a mixed bag of a pay per view on paper. We'll start off Moose versus Rhino. It's a match. They're gonna spear each other and that's it uh that's pretty detailed man uh no it's yeah it's it's weird because they want moose to be a main event guy so so bad and he's obviously gotten better he's doing really good heel work the problem is though is like you know, you put him in there and he had like a okay match with rvd he had kind of an okay match with shamrock but you're putting him in there, and I get the idea that you're putting him over quote-unquote legends, but he's also not really having anything quality-wise in the ring on these pay-per-views. And He's just beating old dudes to me. Yeah. So now he's being put in there with Rhino, and no disrespect to Moose, who I know claims he's the best big man in wrestling. He's not good enough to carry Rhino to a good match. Because no, not not this version of Rhino. Yeah, Rhino is bland and boring, and had bad matches with Elgin, which tells you all you need to know. But Impact has a hard on for Rhino and the ECW alumni stuff. Don Callis will fucking verbally blowjob him on commentary for as long as this match goes, and tell you that Rhino's just as good as he ever was, and he's not. Okay. So Moose should win. If he doesn't, they're stupid. 
I would imagine Moose is winning. Like, I can't get into this match because I don't care about Rhino in now 2020. And I truthfully don't care about Moose because once he lost that match to, to Aries when he should have been the champion, and that was at his hottest point, uh, they, they pretty much killed him right then. And then they turned him heel. They basically gave him the Monty Brown treatment. And like I don't care about this guy guy and like the like he does fine character work but he's feuding with a bunch of old dudes the matches aren't really the my cup of tea like they're they're for the most part not that good and now he's facing the worst of the bunch like all right at least van damme can still do stuff and get some pops shamrock there's a little bit more nostalgia there because he's not wrestling all the time like rhino he's not good in 2020 and i i just i can't care about this match i don't blame you Next up, we have Madman Fulton versus Ken Shamrock. Uh, Madman Fulton's a guy that I think has shown some decent potential here in his Impact run. Um, he's I've gotten to see a lot more of him than anywhere else. He was very limited in MLW. He's been protected so far. But they've let him loose on some of these specials, and there's something there, I think. Dude is obviously big. He has good agility. And then you have Ken Shamrock. He came back to the company, and granted, for his age, he's in spectacular shape. But let's be honest, dude. It's been a rough go for him. He had an okay match with Moose. He had a bad match with Sammy Callahan. He got dick flipped by Joey Ryan. And he's part of this old guard like the ECW guys that at times they shackled to Tessa Blanchard to leech off of her heat. Hoping that they'll, these guys will look important here. And it's like, no, I just, I don't get it. I, I have like no high hopes for this match at all. And even worse... I really think they're going to have Ken Shamrock win. Um, I don't know if they're going to have Ken Shamrock win. I This is another match that I really... I don't have much care for. Um, sorry. Ken Shamrock is he's another old dude that I just... I don't care to see on pay-per-view. And Madman Fulton... Like, he's not bad. He He's a nice uh, big guy for OVE. And so he plays his role well, but like this just isn't the match that I'm going to be excited for, for him. Like let him face Moose. I realize they're, they're both heels, but you know, this just not much of a match to me. Yeah. Not excited for this one. Next up, Rob Van Dam versus cage. We're sticking with the seniors portion of the card here. Christian cage. No, unfortunately not. No, Brian cage. So we got, uh, anyway, we got heel RVD versus cage. Cage is obviously your former world champion. It sits losing the title. He's tumbled down the card, has really no direction. He's been really good in impact. I think he's delivered some really good matches, especially with Elgin. Uh, and he's developed nicely into the top guy, but he's working RVD here. And again, like Rhino, they're going to try to sell you that RVD is this legend. Who's been as good as he always was. And he's not. His heel stuff is fun, but he's old, he's slow. His trademark stuff doesn't even really pop the crowd all that much anymore. And I just, I can't get into it. And so it's like, you have this match. I, I'm not into it. Cage will probably work his ass off here. He may even save it to some degree, but I, I think they're having RVD win because they're kind of all in on this heel RVD thing. I, I do like the heel RVD. I will fully admit that. I think they're uh, 
I think he's he's a fun character where he's just like, yep, gonna gonna make out with my my girlfriend and my other girlfriend, and we're just gonna interrupt you and get stoned and bang all over the place. It's it's a douchey kind of gimmick, but it suits him. Um, Brian Cage is a guy that I've said it many times. Like his impact work doesn't super excite me. I, I like him a lot better in Lucha Underground. I can say that about a lot of guys actually. And he's a guy without a direction right now. He lost the title and even his title run wasn't that good because he was on the shelf for most of it. So he's really cooled off since he won the title, which which was a uh, fairly big moment beating beating Morrison or Impact, whatever his name is going by. Uh, like that was a fairly big moment. And since then, it's really been, you know, much of nothing since he won that title because of the injuries and then just the lack of direction. I... Honestly, if RBD wins, that that's fine by me. He's 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 a better character right now than Brian Cage. Yeah, I mean that's that's not you're not wrong because Cage is just the big dude that used to be champion. So yeah. <laughs> uh, next up, we get into our first title match here: Champion Ty Valkyrie defending against Jordan Grace and ODB. Your thoughts? I would have liked it better if it was Ty against Jordan Grace. I think that. I got a feeling we're going to get the uh, champion doesn't lose pinfall here and, and Grace because like Taya, they, they put a lot of stock into her longest reigning women's champion on a single reign and all this stuff. Uh, and I don't know if like they want to beat her right now, which is which is weird. Like she can lose. It's OK. And so I just feel like we're going to get the I think Jordan Grace pins OB, o, uh, ODB and, and get, gets the victory, gets the title. And then you set up the the Jordan Grace tie of tire rematch. And, you know, maybe Jordan Grace beats her there. I just feel like it would mean so much more if she just pins her and, and beats the champion and, you know, gets the title and ends that reign. Like the reign ends that way. I can understand Nantaya if she, assuming she loses this way, can be like, you never pin me. It sets up the automatic rematch. But if she's had this extremely long reign. It means more if the champion gets pinned. Maybe they'll surprise me. Maybe Jordan will pin Taya or maybe Taya will just win. Yeah, it's, I agree with you. I, you know, with all due respect to ODB, I, I hate that she's added to this match. They were telling the natural story of Jordan Grace working her way back to a title shot after previously losing to Taya, and it felt like the perfect time to have Grace finally win the title because uh, Taya just hit the one year mark as champion. I fully respect Impact for trying to help out ODB with her financial stuff after losing her food truck and everything. And you know, they did those TV tapings and they gave money to her and they booked her here a couple times. That's nice. That's really sweet. That's okay. But I was really looking forward to Taya and Jordan Grace, which I felt was well booked and I thought they would deliver a good match. And now I honestly have almost no interest in this match. I'm honestly thinking that Taya's going to escape with the championship pinning ODB and then they'll continue the feud and maybe Jordan wins it on TV or something. Um, but yeah, I just, I am not a fan of this being changed to a triple threat at all. 
Like, I'm fine with that. If Taya retains, I will have far less of a problem with that because then you can extend the the Jordan Grace Taya feud a little bit longer, even though she probably wrap that up sooner rather than later. So, you know, if Taya retains, I'm fine with it. If they do the, you know, champion doesn't get pinned type of gimmick, then that's when I'll, I'll complain a little bit whenever we do uh, the review podcast. And if ODB wins, then, you know, God help us because it comes off a little disingenuous because it's just like hey we put the title on her because her food truck burned down like all right you want to help her out that's cool like i don't i don't have an issue with all that like she didn't do the title for all that especially the, the way she's been wrestling exactly now we're to move into the business portion of the car jeremy michael elgin versus eddie edwards these guys are gonna fight we've talked about this a lot these have been two of the best guys in the company throughout 2019 in terms of Delivering match quality. It's Elgin, it's Edwards, Rich Swan. <clears throat> all guys up there delivering great matches. Um, from all accounts, this match is going to also be for Eddie Edwards' title shot that he won at Bound for Glory. He won the gauntlet match, giving him a title shot of his choosing it every time. Um, if I had to guess, I think in-ring-wise, this will probably be the best match on the show. Um, you have a lot of possibilities here because if Eddie Edwards uh, wins and keeps his title shot, there's a possibility maybe he cashes in on Ace Austin to continue that feud and win the X Division title. Um, I think it'll be great. I am looking forward to this probably the most out of anything on the card. I'm going with Big Mike Elgin for the win. Yeah. Uh, um, I'm... I can I can see Elgin winning this, and I'll I'll tell you why. It's because he's got the title shot. It's for a title shot for any title, right? Yep. Okay, I'm just making sure I had my facts straight. I think Elgin could be the one that dethrones Tessa, and I don't I don't know if Tessa's gonna get a long run. And I, I think that's why you need someone in that position who can like look good in throwing her. And Elgin is obviously a big dude, and it, it comes off very believable if you know she beats or he beats Tessa for the title. And so I think that's what they they might end up doing, and that's why I think Elgin's going to win this match. I'm really looking forward to this. I do think it'll probably be the the best match on the show. Although the tag team match could could surprise. Uh, next up, we have the Triple X Division Champion, Ace Austin, facing Trey from the Rascals. Uh, I think Ace Austin's been really fun as a sleazy douchebag heel and stuff, looking to bang moms and wives and harassing Trey about his mom and stuff. And um, and Trey, you know, Trey's good, obviously. Ace Austin's been really good. I think Ace has had a really good year overall. Um, I think Dez is the honestly the better singles wrestler, but he's also part of the better tag team in the, in the rascals. I don't really mind. I don't really mind Trey getting a title shot, but um, I think they have a really good match. I think ACE Austin retains, but if he does and Eddie keeps his title shot, maybe Eddie cashes in. So don't be surprised. It could, uh, it could get interesting depending on who wins that other match. I think ACE Austin retains uh, too early to take the title off of him. I like what he's doing. With his fucking mothers and, and fucking wives gimmick. Um, it's a little edgy, but I, I dig that. And and Trey, I, I don't mind Trey. I like I don't see him as like a breakout star of the Rascals at least at the moment. I, I'm not, I'm not sure at the moment like any three of the guys can can be really big breakout stars. I think they're really good as a as a six man team, but I'm not seeing like any of them like separate themselves from the pack. And I, I think that's why like this 
Trey's portion of this match doesn't like excite me that much. They've, they've done a good job with the feud. It, the feud won't be for everybody, but they, they've certainly done a good job with it. The, the match should be good. Both guys are, are good workers. It's just, I don't know, something about Trey bugs me. I think that's fair. Nothing wrong with that. He, they're not for everybody. Not everybody likes the Rascals, by the way. I know that. It's funny. but I, I like them. Like I Look, I get stoned all the time, so I have no problem with guys sitting around getting stoned and, and telling stories and stuff. I, I have no issue with their gimmick. I think it's great. It's just none of them come out as like a single star to me. I, I just think it's like, all right, it's you know three really good wrestlers who work well as a unit. I don't see one of them right now as like, yeah, you can you can push this guy and he should be a singles champion. Fair enough. Next up, a match I know you are looking forward to. Tag Team Champions, the North, facing off with Rich Mac, or Rich Swan and really, Willie Mac. Rich Mac. I mean, that could be their names. That's their go. tag team name, Rich Mac. Um, should be good. I, I like all four of these guys. They they work well. You know, the both teams have really good chemistry. Um, the the North have been. I didn't think I was going to like them this much when they you know they first took the titles off of LAX, but they've been really entertaining, and I have been a been a fan of what they're doing. And I like Willie Mac. I like Rich Swan. Again, the work. The work should should be fine. The, these are four guys I'm not really worried about when it comes to to work, and I think they'll get plenty of time and they'll they'll tell a good story and should be a good match. Yeah, I really like the build of this one because it's not just it's not just you know challengers looking for the title. I mean, they are obviously looking for the titles, but they built some nice layers to it because you have um, Ethan Page really specifically playing mind games, uh, trying to mind fuck Willie Mack into. Uh, being jealous and telling him that Swan's the big star in the making and that they won't last as a team and friends. And that has led to some very subtle side-eyeing by Willie Mack and promos, which has been really nicely done. Very much teasing that heel turn, especially since they did the gimmick where Mack, uh, quote-unquote, got hurt during the uh, number one contender's gauntlet deal they did. And Rich Mack, or Rich Swan, God, I keep doing that. Rich Swan <laughs> earned the title shot all on his own which kept playing into the uh, the Norse little narrative there. I think Mac and Swan are a really great team. They they feel like a threat. The North have been great as champions, and uh, they have obviously great dance partners here. So I think along with uh, Elgin and Edwards, this is the other match that really has show-stealing potential. Um, the question is, like, you know, will the Norse plan work? Will Mac turn on Swan? Will the champions retain? You know, or the or are the challengers actually the one playing the mind games and they're gonna fucking lull the champions into a sense of you know false security and then beat them. So I mean I think it's uh really interesting. I'm really looking forward to the match. Think it'll be good. I think it's a coin flip. I'm gonna go with the North, but I'm not hundred percent sold on it. I I think the North is going to win as well. Um, I don't think there's going to be any turn, at least not yet. I just don't think it's quite time for the North to lose the titles. And and no offense to to Swan and Mac, like they're over, they're they're relatively hot. But I, I don't think their their story, if they're going where we think they're going with a potential turn, like needs the the titles right now. I think losing actually tells that story a little bit better. So I, I think the North end up winning, and maybe they they probably pull some type of shenanigans to to get the victory. Yeah, very much looking forward to it, though. So the card is turned around here, and uh, we head to the main event. Champion Sammy Callahan versus Tessa Blanchard. We go back to the Rebellion show. Tessa Blanchard defeated Gail Kim, and uh, 
Her follow-up booking was kind of not what anybody expected because instead of locking her into a feud to go after the knockouts title, she turned babyface, beat Disco Inferno, and then started scrapping with the guys from OVE, which led to her match at Slammiversary with Sammy Callahan, which was really good, and Sammy won. They had a rematch later on on one of the specials with the title shot on the line, which was actually, I thought, a little better than the Slammiversary match. Sammy won, cashed in, and won the title, so... We've talked about Tessa a lot on these shows, Jeremy. Tessa's been great. She was seemingly set to be the centerpiece of the knockouts, but, you know, she beat Gail Kim. She got over. She feels like the biggest star of the company. And now she is, you know, thrown into the mix for the world title. Uh, Sammy had a really great 2019. He was coming up short constantly. Finally started picking up wins on the big shows. Won the title, and again, Tessa, Sammy is a great heel. He's the most over heel in the company. Tessa is you know, basically the biggest star and most over star in the company. They want to push her. They really want to make her a star, and not just a female star, a top star. So that's why they're main eventing. The build's been really good. I thought they've done a lot of work um, to, to get it over, some good brawls. So we come to the finish. It's like, does Sammy screw her over to retain, or does Tessa actually get that big moment and and Sammy's run what feels like really early on I'm actually kind of going another direction Jeremy I'm booking the territory all right here's what happens Tessa Blanchard beats Sammy Callahan to win the championship she celebrates big Mike Elgin comes out and cashes in his title shot shits all over the moment beats her and becomes the new champion leaves the champion pisses everybody off most over here on the company now I mean, yeah, I, I mentioned something similar earlier, and that's why I think Elgin is going to win. I I don't think they're they're gonna have Tessa lose that quickly. I do think they'll give her a month or so run. It does feel early for Callahan to lose the title because he's only had the title for what he won it at the end of October, right? The beginning of November. Yeah. Whenever. End of October. Yeah, whenever the Access debut was. So it doesn't feel like he, and they've been off TV, off of Access for the last two weeks, so it really doesn't feel like he's held it that long. But like, if you're not going to go with Tessa now, like, when are you going to go with her? Because I don't think she's going to be as hot as she is right now. Her, her contract is reportedly up sometime in the next few months, so she might not even re-sign. And that's just another reason why she probably won't have a, a very long title run, unless she does re-sign before then. But but who knows? They might not want to even try to risk anything like that. Um, I, I think Tessa wins. I, I think this is her moment. I think they give her that moment as well and i think she gets a, a month or two run out of it and then she ends up losing to elgin and you know elgin can do they can do that cash in thing um where tessa wins a match on impact on access and then elgin cashes in beats her and you know they can do a rematch or, or whatever i i think they'll give tessa a moment i don't think they'll 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 heal her out like this but it would make sense it, it put a big target on elgin's back right away and, and turn him into the the biggest heel in the company which sammy callahan will bitch about on twitter <laughs> yeah i say i think they might do it i mean i'm not 100 sold on it i'm just i i hate everybody that wants to go with safe predictions all the time i mean look at my wrestle kingdom stuff which obviously didn't come true. But still, I mean, I think it's okay to go outside the box sometimes. And, like, they're committed to book Tessa as a star, but I'm just, I'm not 100% sold on 
them wanting her to actually have a run with the title. I think they're going to be happy to say that, hey, she won the title, we did it. And let that be it. Because I think that, you know, the contract stuff, I think they may start phasing her out so they can try to get other people over because if she's leaving, they're losing, like we talked about, pretty much their biggest star. And honestly, if, if I'm Tessa, I mean, it's no no disrespect to Impact. I mean, she's in a great position of power, man. I mean, this is the time to leave and make your money somewhere. Yeah, and she's she's going to get big, big offers too. So... I I think I think they're gonna they're gonna keep it on her. I don't think it's gonna be a one off, you know, thirty second run where it's like, okay, we did it, we gave her the title. I, I think with as much as they've invested in her, they they will do a little bit more. Um, and I, I like I like this match. I think it'll be good. Um, both both the the story is really strong coming into it. A lot of history to play off of. I mean, just the fact that you know you have Tessa going for the world title is is going to be history in and of itself. Uh, so a lot to play off of in this match. They'll they'll have the crowd behind it pretty much the entire time unless they manage to kill them in the undercard. Um, um, so I, I'm looking forward to this main event, and I, I think they give Tessa the moment. If Elgin wins the in the earlier match, then I will I will be scared for her. Yeah, definitely, and I think you should because I think the possibility is there. So as we talked about, I mean, it's kind of a mixed bag. The lower four matches don't do a lot for me, um, but I do think that the other four matches, there's a lot of strong possibility for the card to turn around. And, you know, hopefully we're kind of wrong about those bottom matches, Jeremy. Maybe they end up being surprisingly good. I hope so. If there's, if some of them are kept short, I mean, like Cage and, and RVD could be surprisingly good just because Brian Cage, especially if it's a short match, they can do some cool athletic stuff. And in and short bursts, it'll it'll look good. Like Moose and Rhino, I don't have a lot of hopes for. Maybe Shamrock and Fulton just because you can do some cool strikes and Shamrock chopping them down and stuff with his amazing leg kicks. Um, there might I, One of those matches will probably end up surprising. I don't know which one. If I had to put money on it, I'd say Cage and RVD. But I do think one of those matches will end up surprising. Well, we can hope so. So that is hard to kill. And um, that's on Sunday night. And we're back. And we are going to get into the Wednesday night stuff, Jeremy. We've already recorded our other stuff. We will start with AEW Dynamite January 8th, 2020. From Memphis, Tennessee, Memphis announcing legend Dave Brown was on commentary for the opening match, which was Kenny Omega and Drunk Hagman Page, who, according to the lower third, is not paying private party back their $12, <laughs> which I laughed uh, at. I, I I swear to God, if they started that shit as a joke with his lower third, I'm gonna. it's so good. Look, Hangman doesn't have the... Uh, co-executive vice president deal you know i mean i'm sure he's making good money in AEW, but he's not making that that kenny money so he's got a 12 dollars is a lot for a drink too i mean i don't drink anymore but 12 bucks seems kind of steep i don't blame the man that's right so it's kenny and adam page facing off a private party in our opener kenny and adam page defeated private party 1240 via pin jeremy your thoughts on our opener a little kind of clunky to be honest like it wasn't bad or anything but it also just felt like it should have been better 
um, I don't know what it was. The the teams just didn't mesh as well as, as you would think. Like they didn't think it a ton of time. They had what you say like 12, 13 minutes. Yeah. Um, just something, especially on the early portions. By the end, it really did pick up, and it, it was a good match. Like I'm not saying this was a bad match or anything. It just almost felt like it should have been a little bit better. It felt kind of just sloppy and uh, like waiting around a little bit too much. All right, uh, I thought it was really good. I thought they had a hot crowd. Um, definitely not like a high level tag match by any means. Um, but yeah, I, I liked it well enough. Um, and it feels like they're continuing on with that slow burn to the Adam Page heel turn. Uh, they have kept having little teases throughout the match. Uh, he almost hit Kenny at one point. Kenny ended up hitting him later on, but they rebounded. It will be interesting to see how they're exactly going to go on with that. But uh, I thought that the teases were well done. And, uh, you know, Private Party is one of those teams that, like, they have a ton of potential. They do a bunch of stuff really well. They just... One of the downfalls for them, I think, of signing with AEW is the fact that they just don't get to work as much. And I wanna, that's going to hurt know, them Yeah, I want to know what they're doing with Private Party. I mean, they get the big win over the bucks they they were the first team to beat santana and ortiz and now they're like they've got some weird losses mixed in there well they lost like the best friends at one point when the best friends were were not quite as hot as they turned out to be and now like i understand you don't want to beat omega and page but like omega and page are a team that's going through issues and stuff uh, private party just it feels like they're there and okay you can like do it slowly but i don't know it feels like they're just they're just kind of there and i i had higher expectations especially after that bucks win yeah they feel rather directionless now that's uh, there's yeah. no doubt about that uh post-match we got video backstage Pac laying out nakazawa with the brutalizer and demanding his rematch with kenny omega so Poor Michael Nakazawa just getting his ass beat all the time. Why wasn't why didn't Kenny bring Nakazawa to ringside? Like he knows this bastard Pac is after him. This is just poor poor friendship by Kenny Omega. What I think the story is is that Kenny is learning from the all-time great Toriano and he's trying to bring fair play to AEW. So he didn't want to have the possible impropriety of bringing Nakazawa to ringside thinking that he may cheat. He's a good man like Yano. Now that may result in him being a shitty friend but I mean he (laughs) didn't want to cheat. (laughs) Then then Put, then tie up Nakazawa at ringside or something. It, it's yeah, just... handcuff him to the post so he's a stationary target, target for yeah. Pac. That's a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> well, at least then Kenny doesn't have to rush to the back to save him. He's right out there to save him, you know? Hey, you know what? Michael Nakazawa is lucky he has a job, even if it's getting his ass beat. Uh, that, that's a fair point, yeah. Uh, we went to the AEW Women's Championship match next. Hikaru Shida oh and Britt Baker were sitting ringside. Unfortunately, Brandy Rhodes got commentary. Which, uh, uh, and it, okay. so, it was rough from the very start with her on commentary. Yeah, she was no good on commentary. So the quick of it is that Riho ended up retaining the title at 935 via pin. There were... Let me get the good out of the way. There was a lot of really good work between Riho and Chris Statlander in this match. The best part of this match was the fact that during the match, my wife brought, cooked and baked and brought me a lovely chocolate cake. So I was able to eat lovely chocolate cake during this show. 
Unfortunately, all this great work was totally negated by Brandy and the Nightmare Collective bullshit. They went down to the ring, Kong and Melanie Cruz. They got involved. Statlander and Rio tried to fight them off. Chris Jericho got his buddy Dr. Luther a fucking job. He was the bald guy that was in all the fucking vignettes with Brandy. He appeared and got involved in all this bullshit. And then Kong ended up tripping up Statlander and Rio retained. It was it was like it was a lot of really good work in there until all this bullshit fucking ruined it. And that sucks because First of all, Chris and Riho don't deserve this. Secondly, it's a perfect example of the quote-unquote story, and I'm using air quotes that you can't see, ruining a match instead of amplifying it or actually making it better. Brandy and this Nightmare Collective shit can just fuck off. It is the dirt worst shit. I don't want to hear anybody complain about the Dark Order after this. It's nowhere in the same league. This shit is horrible. Yeah, get fired up, Larry. Well, I'm, I'm really fucking fired up because they were having a really good match. And then they fucking ruined it with all this horse shit. And this is the horse shit, too, that they were telling us for how many, how many fucking months before the company started that this isn't the shit we're going to do. And then they fucking do it. Made the referee look like an asshole, too, because there was 800 interference <laughs> spots. Fuck off. This sucked. This was... This was so, so bad. It... Look, Riho and Statlander did work hard. The problem was a lot of their work was completely undermined by Brandy on commentary, who just buried everything, just calling Statlander. I did laugh when they did the the superplex spot, and Statlander, like, she sold hitting her head, and Brandy's just like, look, she hurt her own head. Stupid. Brandy undermined everything by bickering with Excalibur about the mask, calling him exhibit. Exhibit. And then like it, it did venture on the territory of it's so bad that it's funny, but that's not what you want to go for. Like this is a women's title bout. This should be a serious bout. Like, and yeah, so the commentary undermined the early work. And then of course we had the, the interference, which undermined everything else. This sucked. The Dr. Luther, like Japanese deathmatch legend Luther, no one know, knew who this guy He's was. Like, Chris the, Jericho's best friend that was the best man at his fucking wedding. That's who he is. That's all you need to know. I, that would have been a better explanation than Japanese deathmatch legend Luther. Uh, like the announcer's like, is that Luther? Are we sure? Like, uh, it's just... They no, no one knows who the hell Dr. Luther is. Let's be honest. This was just, yeah, the referee looks stupid because all this interference is going on. And I guess he's checking on Riho the whole time. Like he couldn't turn around once to see what was happening. Just yeah, he didn't hear the 800 spots going on behind <laughs> him with the nine people involved. Oh, just... seriously. Brandy and this whole nightmare collective can fuck off, man. I am so sick of it. Worst it's... part of the goddamn company. By by far, it's really bad. And as you said, it's everything that they said they weren't going to do. And after two weeks or I guess three weeks ago, because they, they had uh, that week off, like 
they they knew the the Dark Order stuff wasn't good. They I'm sure they heard the complaints about the Nightmare Collective stuff. And last week seemed really refocused. Like I loved last week's show because it, it was just you know a lot of wrestling, a lot of good wrestling, a lot of just straight to the point stories, no bullshit, uh, some good interviews to set up stuff. Like just it was a really good show last week, and then they come out with with this nonsense this week and like you you undermined a complete like a a women's world title match a a well-built women's world title match like the the previous ones were not this well built i mean riho is an established champion uh statlander has been winning a bunch of matches she went she won the number one's contenders match and like you undermine the whole the women's division sucks dude it's so bad Bunch of fucking bullshit. Angered me to no end. And like I said, especially because they were doing, they were having a really good match in there. They were doing really well. I was enjoying it. And then just all this bullshit. And it's just, it's the shit that annoys me to no end. It's like, um, like I talked about it with Ian when we were reviewing Wrestle Kingdom. It's like the Jay White stuff. I like Jay White. I think Jay White's a really good wrestler. I think he's an awesome heel. They may come out to be this super devious counter-wrestling heel that is like smarter than everybody. But then he's booked like he can't beat anybody on his fucking own. And he needs 800 low blows and Gato chair shots to fucking win a match. Why can't a heel sometimes, and this is totally different in a way, but like why can't a heel sometimes just be smarter and better every once in a while? And then you save that shit and you do it sparingly instead of every fucking match so it means something. But yeah, this stuff just pissed me off to no end. And like I said, it's an example of trying, again I use air quotes, to do a story that totally takes away from everything you were doing in the ring. It it wasn't good at all. It and it seemed to kill the crowd. Like the the rest of the show wasn't as hot as it was for that opening match. Yeah. I mean, they got they got into certain stuff, but it, it definitely wasn't as hot as it was for that opening match. Just just the worst. Just the absolute worst. And it, you know people are rightfully shitting on this because AEW promised something different and. I mean, th- this was worse than than the Lashley segment. Uh, I look the Lashley segment was dumb, but in in my wrestling, I can tolerate some of that stuff, especially because it was like this. It was an angle, you know. They didn't ruin a match by doing the, this wedding segment. It was, it was just a complete angle. Like this, they they ruined a very good match by doing stuff that isn't over, that hasn't connected once. Like none of this Brandy stuff has connected. None of it. And yet here she is in this title picture scene do with awesome Kong, who I think is great, but is also like 40 and is coming off all these kind of surgeries and back injuries and whatnot. I don't know who Mel is. I'm sorry. She, she's not really established to me. And, and Dr. Luther, who the fuck is this dude? Like looking like, uh, what's a, looking like uh, the guy from Bill and Ted's excellent adventure, the, the ghost guy. The only surprising thing about the Dr. Luther thing is the fact that Don Callis didn't fucking sign him first. <laughs> uh, I mean, I guess uh, maybe he can he can work both companies. Like, Oh, Christ. Don't go. No, I have enough <laughs> to deal Luther's with. Dr. Luther's going to show up to Hard to Kill this weekend. I have enough to deal with an impact with all the other useless assholes they're using that, like, kill my interest in the good talent they have. 
Joe, All right, let's, let's Johnny Swinger. Well, at least I can kind of laugh at Johnny Swinger, but it's like Johnny Swinger at least isn't being pushed and being put over people. Unlike Rhino and Tommy Dreamer and shit like that. And well, that's Dr. Luther's problem. He wasn't in ECW. He was in FMW and stuff. Yeah, I guess so. But I know he's a good friend of Don Callis, which is why I'm shocked he didn't get hired. So, anyway, let's move on because we beat this dead horse, which is definitely fucking deserved. So, got Sammy Guevara versus Christopher Daniels. This was set up last week when Sammy ran down Christopher Daniels for fucking up his move and being an old man that doesn't have it anymore. Uh, commentary, I will give them credit. They didn't show footage, but they did mention on AEW Dark that Daniels has been having confidence issues. And in his AEW Dark match, he teased going for the Arabian press that he botched against Pentagon, but he couldn't do it, which led to the heat in that match. So I do like that they're playing up that story, which may play into the fact that I may be right that maybe that was an on-purpose thing, Jeremy. Yeah, well, and you mentioned it, that it made a lot of sense. And... Again, either you're right and it is, you know, it is a story and, you know, kudos for them to, you know, create this story out of a, a botch or kudos to them for reversing the story and, and turning something into the botch and giving Daniel something to do. I'm 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 more inclined to believe your theory. Like I I was pretty high on your theory when you first said it and the the more this goes on the more I think that's what they're doing because they've always talked about um they they've always talked about long-term planning and stuff. So I don't think like they did this botch and then they decided, "Oh, let's create a story out of this." Like it feels like this was a long-term thing. And like I said, the only reason I had the theory is cuz I know he did it in TNA against AJ. He did it on purpose to dupe him in so he could beat him in a match. And I just, I remember that, like, very vividly. So anyway, we had Sammy and uh, Christopher Daniels. Uh, Sammy won a 550 via pin. And the reason he won is because Daniels was winning. Pentagon arrived, made fun of him on the microphone to do the Arabian press. Sammy attacked and hit a fucking knee strike and won. Shitty fucking distraction finish. The match yeah. was okay until there, but fuck off with this distraction bullshit finish. I see it on Monday and every fucking Friday. I don't need to see it on Wednesday. Um, at least Pentagon's music didn't hit. That that's about the kindest thing I can say about this Shire. Like once Pentagon came out, it's like, really? You're you're doing this? This this is another thing where it's like this is what you've railed against. And now this is what you're doing. So it's tough to it's tough to swallow because we we expect more out of AEW in, in this situation. We we expect them to not do this shit. And you know, here they are doing a distraction finish when it, it's not necessary. Yep, don't need it at all. So that led to the post-match angle where the Dark Order arrived. Evil Uno put over Christopher Daniels as an innovator and someone that made him want to get into wrestling, but said that the fans didn't believe in Daniels anymore. They think he lost a step, but Uno said that he could make him the man he was once again. He offered him a Dark Order mask. Daniels teased taking it, threw it at him. They attacked and all kicked the shit out of him until SCU and the Bucks arrived. They all beat down the uh, the Dark Order and Grayson. Uh, Sky hit a big tope. 
and uh, Daniels hit a BME on Alex Reynolds, and they stood tall, getting revenge for the beatdown that everybody hated prior to the break. We'll see where the Dark Order stuff goes. This, you know, they they got one up on the Elite prior to the break, as you said, and now the the first week, essentially, they're back on television uh, since they only did a, a vignette last week. Like, they're just, they're getting beat down now. So any anything of, like, establishing them as some type of dominant faction is kind of out the window because they've already kind of got a little bit of comeuppance here. Um, we'll, we'll see what happens with the Dark Order stuff. I'm willing to give them a little bit of a chance, but there, it's certainly been hit and miss so far. It has been hit and miss, but it definitely has more potential than the Nightmare Collective. Oh, way, way more potential. I, I don't even know what the Nightmare Collective is all about. Like, they were cutting hair, and now they're not cutting hair. Um, I I don't know what, what the deal is with the Nightmare Collective, but at least the Dark Order has something you can sink into a little bit with the, the cult stuff, and you know, they, they got a, a certain leader with uh, Evil Uno who's good on the mic and is trying to like recruit actual people. I mean, I guess Brandy sort of is, but Brandy just isn't built for that role. At least Evil Uno is built for that role. Um, so, oh yeah, way, way better. Plus you have the mystery Netflix. Dark Overlord portion of the Dark Order thing that we don't yeah. know about. So, I mean, yeah, I'm willing to let this play out a little more. I didn't think this was a bad segment at all. It kind of made sense for them to target Daniels because he is having that crisis of confidence and he did lose and... That made sense, and then, you know, you, you had uh, SCU and the Bucks getting a little revenge, so that's fine. I uh, went back to tag team action. Cody and Dustin Rhodes with head coach Arn Anderson at ringside, facing off with the Lucha Brothers. Uh, Cody and Dustin Rhodes defeated the Lucha Brothers 10-25 via pin. I thought they had a good and fun tag match. Crowd started to get back into the show a little bit here, which was nice to see. Um, Dustin, again, just working really hard, looking good. I like the Arn stuff. Um, my only real complaint with this is, while I thought it was a good and fun match, we talked about uh, people without direction like Private Party. The Lucha Bros. Just no direction with these guys right now other than go out and have a good match, please. The, the Lucha Losers is what I've called them because I'm very witty and creative. They, they're, they're just there. Like, there, there really is, as you said, no direction with them i i don't they were the hot tag team coming in because you know they were feuding with the bucks and everything and now they're just they're having matches i I guess pentagon is is feuding with daniels but they're they're losing all these matches like i don't feel like they've won in forever and i'm sure somebody will tell me they won like three weeks ago or something but it just it just feels like they're a bunch of losers and i like both of these guys it doesn't feel like they're winning at all and you know good win for uh, the, the Rhodes family. I mean, the elite, the people wanted the elite strong. You look at these last two weeks, they're running through everybody. So if you were hoping for the elite to be strong, like you're getting your wish. That's for sure. Yep. Uh, post-match Tony ski tried to interview Cody about MJF's demands. Arn took the mic and said, MJF has no stroke and he doesn't like him. Said Cody wants to ma- match, but they're going to answer next week. Um, why doesn't Cody, why doesn't Cody just like, not answer until the week before and then he doesn't have to do any of these stipulations because it's at it's at revolution so he doesn't have to do the cage match or anything i don't know (laughs) i guess we'll find out 
Um, so we they had a quick thing with uh, Lanny Poffa backstage. Apparently they're doing all the legend stuff on Dark next week. Uh, which led to MJF and the Wardlow coming to the ring. MJF called Cody a coward who's afraid to face him. Gave him to the count of ten to come out and accept his demands like a man. Cody didn't come out, so MJF called him a little bitch. This led to Diamond Dallas Page arriving. MJF was not amused. Uh, DDP, blah, 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 former world champion, Hall of Famer, DDP Yoga. If you would have told him 19 years ago he would have been on TNT with AEW, he would have thought you were smoking crack. Quite obviously so, because 19 years ago AEW wasn't around. But anyway, he was there to address his issues with MJF from a few weeks back. He made fun of him and the ward blow. Uh, Hyped his social media and teased coming back for one more match. MJF uh, said enough, told, uh, said DDP in his prime couldn't lace his boots and that today his arthritic hands couldn't hold his jock. The Butcher and the Blade arrived. They fucking ate RKOs like geeks. MJF low-blowed DDP uh, after he said he uh, he made a joke about like uh, he can uh, he's going to lay down with his diamond daughter and have her feel the bang and stuff like that. QT Marshall and Dustin Rhodes made the save. MJF was good here, but I I just didn't care about this. MJF was fine, but it certainly wasn't like a peak MJF promo. No. It was just kind of like a, a generic heel MJF promo, and I'm sure that's not what they wanted to come across. The DDP stuff was was kind of cringe. Just hey, this is who I am, DDP. Yo, like dude, we we get it. Like you're by just running down all this like you know we know who ddp is this isn't a dr luther situation who no one knows like everyone knows who diamond dallas page is he's been on television before he's he's a you know hall of famer legend whatever so i I don't need all of that stuff and then like he lays out the butcher and the blade they look like complete dorks which fine i don't have any real use for him anyway and you know cody doesn't even make the save it's it's dustin and qt marshall and like jim ross tried to i don't remember his roster shivoni but i try to explain like oh yeah dustin and cody left the building and then dustin runs out so it's like all right i guess cody just left the building uh it wasn't that great of a like it didn't do anything for me no, it was just flat. Like like you said, I, I enjoyed some of the MJF stuff. Definitely not his best work and just I don't He tweeted know. during the pro during DDP's promo. I don't blame him. I wanted to take a nap <laughs> during DDP's promo. DDP's promo was not good, but he's gonna wrestle next week. Yay. Uh anyway, <laughs> back to tag team action. Uh Trio's match. Jurassic Express defeated the best friends in Orange Cassidy. 10.50 via pin. I thought they had a solidly fun little match that the crowd really liked because Marco's stunt was in his hometown area and Orange Cassidy and Luchasaurus are over. Got the big Orange Cassidy, Luchasaurus face off and Luchasaurus survived the most devastating kicks in all of wrestling. So I don't know how. I, I, I just, the fucking dinosaur plating, man. I don't know. Just like, <laughs> just, I don't know. He's, he's, he's a strong gentleman, but he, uh, he survived somehow. Again, it was nothing special. I thought it was solid fun. Uh, the crowd was into it at the very least, which is very good. Yeah, it was, it was fine. Um, it, it was a weird dynamic because the, there was no story for this match. It's just six dudes you know, two teams of three just kind of facing off. Like we've never seen them have any type of interaction. Like they're both baby face 
teams, I think. I really don't I really don't know. Like they get babyface reactions. Um and and so that it was a little tough to get into because of that, just because I, I what was the purpose of this match? Uh honestly, I think just to get Jurassic Express a legit win on TV, but that's about it. Yeah, yeah, I, that that's all it seemed because I think Jurassic Express has taken on uh, Jericho and Proud and Powerful in two weeks on the on the Jericho cruise, so yeah. it, it would make sense to to get them a win here. But like that was the purpose, and okay, but at the same time, like I, I need a little bit more to to get into a match. Yeah, it was fine. So yeah, next week we're getting uh, this one sounds really good. Pack versus Darby Allen, like that one. Yes. Then we got a DDT, a DDP, QT Marshall, and Dustin Rhodes versus MJF, The Butcher, and The Blade, as well as Hikaru Shida and Chris Statlander versus Kong and Melanie Cruz, which will probably end up being a fucking mess because the Nightmare Collective stuff sucks. Yeah, I'm not looking forward to that match, but Pack and Darby will be fun because yeah. Pack will kick the shit out of them and oh, Darby yes. will sell it really well. And the six man tag, I could. I really don't have much interest in either, honestly, especially after that segment. Like, there's Dustin's the best worker in the match. Yeah, I mean, that's there's no doubt there. So that led to our main event interview segment, John Moxley's big decision. With champion Chris Jericho, fresh off of his Wrestle Kingdom victory, arrived with Sammy Guevara and Jack Hagar. Uh, Moxley arrived as Jericho had the bubbly ready for him. He called Moxley his best friend and protege. Uh, joked about how he didn't care if it was uh, like Elvis's birthday. He said Elvis was a jackass and he'd kick his ass. The Beatles were way better. Moxley said he'd give him, uh, he wants Moxley's answer. He said the car was all gassed up. Santana and Ortiz were ready to set up the party all night long. He said nobody else was invited. Wanted to know, will you join the inner circle? Moxley said he had a lot of time to think things over this week. Uh, and a lot went into his decision. You all may think you know him, including Jericho. He uh, he doesn't want what Jericho offered him because he can't be bought. He th- he came to dominate uh, in AEW, but then said his answer was yes. He has an inner circle slash Moxley shirt on. Says he came to dominate and take everybody out. Nobody is more dangerous than the inner circle, and he will stand with them. Jericho got to gloat and said, I told you so. Uh, Mox said he will learn from the greats like Jericho. He will stand with them. They will dominate AEW for years to come. He wanted more bubbly. They all celebrated, sprayed champagne around. He got you sold out, Chance. And Jericho said, that's right, Mox. You sold out every night as the inner circle means money. Mentioned that they wanted the Tokyo Dome and they drank more. And then Moxley said he forgot one more thing. And in the words of General Akbar, it was a trap. He was kidding. All he wants is the title. Broke a bottle of the bubbly over Jericho's head. Hit a death rider. Power drove Sammy. And it was all an elaborate ruse to make Jericho think he was joining the inner circle, which, of course, he wasn't. Fun angle to close the show. Maybe a smidge long, but I enjoyed it. Yeah, a little long. That's my only real complaint about it. Like after he joined, it just felt like they were stalling for time of, hey, let's do this. Let's talk about this. And it's just like, okay, like we we know that the turn is coming just like get to it and i guess it's not a turn but with the the swerve whatever you want to call it like we know it's coming just like get to it um it just felt a little long on that otherwise like jericho's very good moxley is very good um sammy and hagar kind of played their roles the the sugar glass bottle broke 
um, in Moxley's hand when Hagar was running into the ring. So that didn't look too great. But uh, otherwise, like it, it was fine. It, you know, it wasn't. It was predictable, but that's okay because because it was entertaining. I I would have been more. I honestly would have liked to just see Moxley join it and, and run with that for a couple of weeks and then maybe turn or something. But I, I guess that maybe comes off to Daniel Bryan in the, the Wyatt family type deal. But yeah, it, it wasn't, wasn't anything wrong with it. It just felt a little predictable and long. Yeah. So no major complaints there. Uh, that will let us move on to NXT for January 9th, 2020. Uh, we started off big women's segment in the ring with Bianca Belair, Io Shirai, Kaylee Ray, Candice LeRae, Rhea Ripley, and Tony Storm, uh, all talking about possible title shots, which led to a big brawl and booking uh, the booking of a six-person match to kick off the show. Uh, and that match saw Candice LeRae, Rhea Ripley, and Tony Storm defeating Bianca Belair, Io Shirai, Kaylee Ray at 16-16 via pin. Uh, I guess uh, the other thing, too, during the opening, they set up um, Tony Storm versus Rhea Ripley for the uh, Worlds Collide special. So I thought that the match was good overall to open up the show. I thought the angle was fine. Um, and it was a nice way to highlight what is really becoming a ridiculously stacked NXT women's division, especially when you mix in the ladies from NXT UK. Uh, the opening segment, like it was good because on one hand, because Rhea Ripley is, is still super over even after the, the couple weeks off. And yeah, the, the division is stacked and they didn't even use like part of their talent here like we saw chelsea green later obviously Shayna baszler is still there we saw mia yim later and yeah you throw in some of the nxt uk women like there there's so much talent in in this division it, look I, I don't always like to compare uh nxt to aew but look at the differences in these women's divisions and and how they're booked it, it's night and day um, but it did feel like a little SmackDown Raw segment, like, hey, play my music, let me come out here and challenge for the title. And it's just like, okay, like we've we've seen this before. And I think it also telegraphs that Tony Storm probably isn't winning on Sunday because I don't think they're gonna do a champion versus champion bout. I, I think they they, they clearly kind of don't want to do that. That's why they're not doing Cole and Walter. They're doing the the two groups instead. So I I think it kind of almost telegraphs that Tony Storm is is losing on Sunday. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Tony Storm will win. It will be a champion versus champion. But that's just my how I'm thinking going into this. Yeah, uh, we had a. Um... A nice little back, uh, quick um, post-match deal uh, where Rhea and Tony Storm had a stare down. Candice LeRae brought the belt into the ring to hand it to Rhea, but stopped the stare at it for a little bit. And then begrudgingly handed it to her, and everybody was happy. But Candice was kind of side-eyeing that title the whole time. I like those little things like that. Candice uh, and Rhea is going to be awesome whenever it happens because there's a fun dynamic between those two. Yeah. Uh, we got a backstage, uh, we got a video promo on uh, Tomasa Ciampa talking about being NXT champion for th- 238 days and that he needs his title back. Got a Keith Lee promo talking about having to prove himself no matter how many champions he's uh, pinned and he will win the North American title in 2020. Uh, this led to the first match of the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic. Imperium defeating the Forgotten Sons 5 minutes and 10 seconds, Jeremy. A right, good sprint and thank God that 
the Forgotten Sons didn't win. I didn't have a actually I really like this match because one I was worried that the Forgotten Sons were going to win and they didn't, so that was great. Uh, Imperium stay strong going into NXT UK. I, th- I think this was a good showcase for them to hopefully get fans excited for the takeover show that allegedly exists on Sunday and. Yeah, it was a fun little sprint. They they didn't have a lot of time, but they they did well with what the time they did have. Yeah, it was good. Uh, maybe it's slightly chaotic. I don't mean that in the bad way though. Uh, obviously, the right team won. Uh, I enjoyed it, and yeah, the Imperium guys winning obviously the right choice because we don't need more Forgotten Sun matches. No, they just need to just go away forever after this. So, Kathy Kelly interviewed Matt Riddle about his pairing with. Um, Pete Dunne in the Dusty Ridge Classic. Riddle said that they don't know each other well, but that's why it's going to work. He said, he looked at Dunne, who was there, and said, I'm a bro, you're the bruiserweight, let's do this. Pete Dunne kind of didn't give a shit, and Riddle said, the bruiserweights were born. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking Matt Riddle was, he was actually really great here. Like, Pete Dunne just kind of not giving a shit and standing there is always good, too. The so. dynamic between the, these two is is really good because Dunn is typically that like quiet, uh, very still assuming guy, but he he has good facial expression and is just like, whatever. I'm just here to fucking hurt people. And Riddle is obviously Riddle, where he was probably stoned during this segment, but he's chill. He's like Broserweights. <laughs> like, <laughs> what a name! I love Matt Riddle. Uh, we got a Gallus video package, and that led to. Austin Theory beating Joaquin Wild 255 via pin. Um, this was, you know, following the... Um, Theory had a really great outing versus Roddy on the taped Christmas special. Picked up his first TV win here, and WWE's had their eye on him for a really long time. So he's going to get a push, and Joaquin Wild is really good and was a good dance partner for him here. It was short and fun and pretty much accomplished its goal of getting Theory on track. Yeah, nothing wrong with it. Too short to like, you know, be a great match or anything. But as you said, the goal was to like get Theory on TV, get him over, and and that's what they did. Yep. Uh, Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic action was next. The Undisputed Era defeating defeated Gallus. This was a battle of NXT Tag Team Champions versus NXT UK Tag Team Champions. Twelve twenty five via pin. Jeremy, your thoughts? It was. Sorry, I'm eating an Airhead. Of course you were. (laughs) It was good, but it didn't feel like a great Undisputed Era match. Like, we know these guys always have really good matches, and and this wasn't quite it. Look, I'm not into Gallus. I don't watch NXT UK, but from what I've seen, Gallus does nothing for me. There's just some bearded white dudes. Um, Bobby Fish, I don't know if he's still working a little hurt, because... I believe this is his first match back since suffering that injury that took him out of the tag team match against uh, Lee and, and Dajakovic. So maybe he was still kind of taking it easy. Kyle O'Reilly is still great. Like the match was fine. Uh, I always thought Undisputed Air was, was going to win. And so that took me out a little bit. But it, it was fine, just probably not on the level you would expect to be considering who was in it. Yeah, my general thought was it was not the normal high-level Undisputed Era match you may be used to, but it was good. The right team won. No real complaints about it. And it didn't go too long either, because like, if it would have went longer, I probably would have started to sour on it, but I thought thought the time frame was good. Got a video package for uh, Mark Andrews and Flash Morgan Webster, who are in the Dusty Tag Team Classic. 
leading to Johnny Gargano arriving for promo time. Talked about Finn Balor costing him a takeover last year. Said Finn's past is his future and it's him because he couldn't get the job done the first time. He called out Finn Balor for saying he's a flag bearer in NXT, yet he headed to the main roster with Glee while Gargano turned on the offer a few months back and stayed. Uh, he mocked uh, Finn's extraordinary gimmick and said he took NXT to the next level without him, which led to Finn Balor arriving. He said he should uh, be called Johnny Promo because that's all he's been cleared for. Little joke after taking him out. And then Finn says uh, he makes the calls and says he'll take him out at TakeOver Portland. That's if Johnny can make it that far. Um, it was fine little promo segment. I'm excited for Johnny Gargano versus Finn Balor, though. I like this. Uh, yeah, I'm excited for Gargano and Balor as well. That that match should be awesome. Like You can't name a bad Johnny Gargano TakeOver match, so that in and of itself means the match is probably going to rule uh but I, I like this just simply because they got some nice little digs in the the johnny promo thing was i, I giggled at that I did uh too. the the extraordinary that gimmick that was so stupid i never understood that so i'm glad gargano like referenced it and being like that that was dumb dude um you know, saying down like I turned down the main roster stuff. Like you left, like that. That's all fine with me. I I, I like this uh this promo, and I'm I'm really looking forward to this match. Yeah, it was again. It was one of those things too that was nice and simple. Did not overstay its welcome. Didn't have to be fucking twenty minutes. You know, just get in, get out, get your job done, set up the match, and I'm excited for that match. But the absolute best part of the fucking show was next. Yeah, because they announced. Officially, that Alex Shelley will be Kushida's tag team partner in the Dusty Classic. Sign me the fuck up for the time splitters, baby. I am super excited for this. Yes. Can't, cannot wait. Glad that, you know, we we discussed who it might be, and, and the time splitters was, was one of them. And we talked about maybe Matt Riddle, or not Matt Riddle, because uh, he has a match. Uh, Keith Lee. Talked about maybe Keith Lee. Um, but. They they certainly had their options, and I'm glad it is a, a time splitters uh, reunion and and Dusty Clag tag team tournament. Let them win, fuck it, put all the titles on the time splitters. Yeah, I'm really excited for it, and it shouldn't really be a shock because if you guys pay attention to the news, Shelley has done uh, at least one guest coach coaching stint at the Performance Center. Um, WWE has some high regard for him, and this obviously doesn't mean he's getting signed. But the fact is. I think it's really cool that Shelly's going to get a WWE moment and hopefully a nice payday. And you know what? Maybe he ends up getting a coaching gig or whatever. But, I mean, I just think it's cool that we're getting a Time Splitters reunion in 2020. That's... I mean, they, they split time. It's not 2020 to them. That's right. Uh, if Shelly wants to go to WWE, like he'll go. I'm sure they've made him an offer. Like he can be a coach. He can be a player coach, whatever they want him to do. Like he it's, it's the ball is in his court with, with that. I don't think this is a thing of, and we'll just bring him in for a time splitters reunion. And then we got no use for him. This is clearly a thing of whatever you want to do. Let's do this. Um, yeah, they're basically doing the same thing with Mercedes Martinez right now. You know, she she's probably going to end up being kind of a, a player coach in NXT, and I I'd imagine Shelly is getting a similar offer if he wants it. Yeah, and um, you brought up the Mercedes Martinez thing. I was actually to bring that up too, but 
Man, I tell you what, some fucking fickle motherfuckers with that signing, man. People <laughs> I've bitching. I've not seen she, this. Yeah, people bitching that she sold out and all this shit. It's like, listen, okay. First of all, she has busted her ass for 20 fucking years. Okay? She has done everything she can on the independent scene. She's almost 40. You know what? If she wants to sign with WWE, pick up a nice steady paycheck, and like like you said, I think she's going to end up being a coach, maybe a player's coach like Cash Sano. We'll see. But the fact is, if she's not a wrestler and she gets in that trainer's role, not only is that a steady paycheck, that's health insurance and benefits and all that stuff. After she's put in 20 years, I say she fucking deserves to make that choice. Who the fuck are you people to judge her, you know? I don't I don't understand when like this is just how toxic social media can be and like this brand loyalty that, that people have to AEW or WWE or any other promotion like it's not a sports team like the, these are companies you know like no, no one has brand loyalty it's it's like having brand loyalty to raw or smackdown if you're a wwe fan like no one has that shit um why is anybody upset that she signed with wwe like i yeah, that's what she wanted she she took the money she took whatever they were offering uh, who knows it was obviously seemingly better than aew's offer even if it wasn't like that's where she wanted to be she talked about being wwe for for years and how it was like a dream for yeah, her go and, back and read interviews she's talked about it several times like i'm i look, i don't know the details of the mercedes martinez deal but but based on kind of what's out there is it's basically going to be a a player coach type thing where she's going to come in she'll probably do some tv stuff but whenever she wants she transitions into the coach because she's a very well respected uh veteran in the locker room who always works hard still has great matches uh despite being 39 40 years old and aew i don't know if they were offering her anything like that like They've got Awesome Kong as kind of their their women's coach, and I don't know if they were offering her like, you know, they create these full time positions so you get like health benefits and stuff like that. I, they may have just wanted her to like be a wrestler, and or maybe Mercedes maybe Mar- Mar- uh, Mercedes Martinez just has fucking eyes and saw the Nightmare Collective and said, <laughs> "Fuck off." <laughs> Uh, that, I'm going to a, live in Orlando. That's a very real possibility, actually, that she just saw that and was like, nope, I'm out. Sorry. No, I'm super happy for her. I really am. If that's exactly what she wants, I think it's great. She's more than earned it. And Steve Cook and I talked about this stuff years ago because, like, Brian Danielson got that um, backlash when he signed. And Steve and I at the time were like, listen, this is a guy that has put on a portfolio of some of the world's best matches for a stretch of time. He had a lot of injuries banging up. Signed with WWE. He's going to get more money. He's going to be in a better situation. And then look at the whole arc for him. He ended up with a great WrestleMania moment. He met his wife there. He has a child. He's financially stable. You know, he had to quit for a while, was able to come back. I mean, I think it's worked out pretty well for Brian. You know, so it's like, if that's the choice they make, I mean, let these people make a choice. But I'm very happy for Mercedes Martinez. And like she, like you said, still has great matches. Last year, she made my, my top matches of the year list. She had an excellent match with David Starr for Beyond Wrestling that I absolutely loved. 
So yeah, I mean, she can still go and everything, and she's she's like to me, she's the kind of person you bring in. She's like Cassandra because if she wants to work a little bit and she's going to do that player coach thing, you could do a lot worse than somebody like her because when she worked the uh, May Young Classic. She actually, according to all reports, she flew herself to Orlando specifically to work with Zia Lee just to make sure Zia Lee had a good match in that tournament with her. And to me, that says a lot about her. So I think it's a great hire and I'm very happy for her. Yeah, you don't see many people say bad words about Mercedes Martinez, especially the the women who are in the business. She seems very well liked, very well respected, and... Uh, fan, fans are just weird when it comes to this stuff like the they're probably mercedes martinez fans but they they only are fans because they wanted to see her in aew like it's just dumb like if you're a fan of this person who cares where she goes be happy for her yeah i mean generally like am i a little sad that she signed it's like yeah only because i'm not gonna see her like in shimmer and beyond in places like that but, I mean, that's just me. I mean, and that doesn't fucking matter. What matters is whatever choice she made, and as long as she's happy. So good for her, man. She's wanted this for a long time. So, anyway, back to NXT uh, and women's action. Mia Yim defeated Caden Carter. 345 via pin. A perfectly okay little match, I thought. Serving as a nice rebound win for Mia Yim while also kicking off a post-match angle, which we'll talk about in a second. I think Caden Carter has a lot of potential. She's very unrefined so far and uh, just somebody that's going to need some more time to develop. But the post-match angle, Jeremy, was Chelsea Green making her NXT debut officially as a full-time looking character here, attacking Caden Carter, dumping Mia Yin, and that also led to the former Robbie E, Robert Stone, making his debut, the Robert Stone brand. And uh, said he had started uh, signing with his uh, brand up with the hottest free agent in Chelsea Green. Your thoughts on the whole segment match and afterward here? Uh, the match wasn't much. Uh, um, Mia Yim winning is the right call. Like, it, it was fine. I like Kaden Carter's kind of look. I think think she certainly looks like a superstar. She's obviously not getting any type of big push right now, while Mia Yim is still kind of in that in that mix. Um, they got, we talked about the women like Dakota Kai, Tegan Knox, like they, they weren't used in that first segment and they're still there too. It, it's, it's, embarrassment of fucking riches, man. <laughs> it really, really is. Um, so yeah, the, the match was what it was. It was a backdrop for the, for the big angle at the end where Chelsea green comes out and she's on NXT. I did like that. Robert stone is like, you know, she was a free agent that that's why she was on raw. Now she's on NXT and I've signed her. Um, so I did like that they did offer an explanation for that. And I, I like Robbie E. Robert Stone. I'm glad they're they're finally using him on television. Hopefully this means uh, the, the great Malcolm Bivens will be used on television as a manager at some point point because you know they they've signed the they've had these guys under contract for for months now and they've been doing the manager gimmicks at the the live events but we haven't seen it on tv so this is a step in the right direction i i hope chelsea is still with diana perrazzo i don't know what's going to happen with them but i i hope they're not broken up because that's a, a very real life friendship and a team that you know they got the same graphics and stuff like it'd, it'd feel weird to break them up right now yes and i'm with you on malkin Bivens. give me big stoke on tv god damn it did you watch the bump today yes the kevin owens facetime <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I know. I, I tweeted about that today because I, I normally don't watch it, but I was in the middle of writing and I needed something to like kind of listen to. And um, Kevin Owens was so good on that show, by the way. But yeah, it's a uh, yeah. He called up Malcolm Bivens on Facetime, and they were just it was pretty funny. Yeah, Owens was great, but the the Malcolm Bivens Bivens is so good. Like yeah. anything he does is is just super entertaining. So yeah, hopefully this means he'll be on TV pretty soon because. That's a guy who's got a who's got a cult following and who's just entertaining in every single segment he's in. I've been saying it since they signed him. You put him on TV, he is instantly going to be the best promo on whatever program he's on. Yeah, you, you pair him with the right people. I don't even know if he needs the right people. He just needs somebody. So, but yeah, good for Chelsea getting TV here and stuff. It's very good for her. Got another uh, Ciampa promo focusing on Adam Cole being NXT champion and how the legacy of the title was uh, tainted because he uh, was never beaten for the championship and uh, Ciampa's uh, title was just handed to Cole. These Ciampa promos were good. Yeah. I, that, that's clearly what they're setting up at some point. I don't know if they're going to go Portland for that because now I almost feel like Portland is too soon. It and feels I know that's, like Mania Weekend to me still. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I think it's more of a Mania Weekend match, and we'll see what Adam Cole is doing. I mean, maybe maybe Ciampa wins a, some type of number one contender match in Portland or pins Cole in a tag team match or something. Who knows? But yeah, it, that certainly feels like a Mania Weekend match to me as well. And it's not a shock that WWE video packages are very good. I think it, it's going to be news when we start getting bad WWE video packages. Yeah, we just like, <laughs> NXT does them really well. Like the lead up stuff to to Ripley and Baszler, Baszler was was amazing. Like we don't see it enough on the the main roster. I guess NXT, but Raw and SmackDown. Like we really don't see it enough on those, like these profile pieces like this, like Raw and SmackDown video package are just a lot of like recap stuff. And like those video packages are fine. But like when they do these profile pieces like this, it's, it adds so much to the character, the story, the show, just everything. Yeah. Really good stuff. Like you brought up Shayna and uh, Rhea that like the prime target they did there. The NXT UK episode this week is basically just the prime target special, which the last one they did for bait and Walter was so amazing. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, again, like you said, that's a lot. And apparently Jeremy Borash has a lot to do with those. Um, And I know there's other people too, but yeah, just um, again, another area the company obviously excels at. Next week, we're getting a women's battle royal to determine Rhea Ripley's opponent for NXT TakeOver Portland, as well as the next two Dusty Tag Team Classic matches. So we have that set for next week. And then our main event, Keith Lee, Cameron Grimes, Dominic Dijakovic, and Damian Priest fighting for the right to face Roderick Strong for the uh, NXT North American Championship. Big Keith Lee won the match 14 minutes via pin. I thought they had a very good match. That was the best thing on the show, wrestling-wise. Uh, Keith Lee, to me, was the right winner. He had previously pinned strong in a match. The win here cements that spot. I thought everybody got some time to shine. And I thought Grimes got to look good as well. I was a little worried that he was going to be a little lost in the shuffle just because out of the four, he was the least pushed. But I was very glad to see he got some nice, really, really big shine spots in this match. Uh, I thought it was delivered. Again, it wasn't like a next-level must-see main event, but it was really good, and to me, the best thing on the show. How dare you think they were going to job out the man Cameron Grimes in his sweet hat. I just thought that like out of the four, he's the one that wasn't the featured the most, and 
I just I was afraid he would be one of those guys that get lost in the shuffle. Like we needed a fourth guy. Grab the hat guy. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Um it was it was a well laid out match. It, as you said, everybody got some shine. Nothing like not spectacular. Um, but, but nothing wrong with it either. Keith Lee, the correct winner, very happy that they, they didn't screw that up and try to, you know, oh, he didn't get pinned, but he still lost type of deal. Like give him his match. Now they're, they're almost booked in a weird position because they, they want to keep running with this undisputed era as all champions thing. But like, this feels like Keith Lee's time coming off of that survivor series. And I think they like even waited too long coming off of survivor series because he was in that tag team title match where he lost, uh, he didn't get pinned, but like he, he lost in that match. And this feels like Keith Lee's time. And I hope he gets the title in two weeks yeah as far as the match goes like it was good not great yeah the best thing on the show but it wasn't like the spectacular go out of your way right now to see it like we see a lot of times on on both nxt and aew yep so that is going to lead us to the big head-to-head comparison time jeremy and if you don't mind i would go first sir Sure. Uh, I thought uh, this week's AW Dynamite was definitely a step backwards from last week's show, which we both greatly enjoyed and thought was a big step in the right direction, a course correction, so to speak. I thought overall it was the weakest show to date for the company. I didn't think it was a bad show by any means. Um, there was some good wrestling, some fine angle advancement, especially like Moxley and Jericho. But we had some bad finishes, some some bland in ring at times. Uh, the flat DDP segment, and then just just that fucking nightmare collective stuff just killed the crowd, and just, uh, I was like, I guess the best way to put it is I thought AEW was like average at best, completely forgettable, and honestly, if you DVR'd it and haven't watched it, you could skip AEW this week without missing a beat, and you, I, I don't think you'd feel bad. Uh, on the other hand, I thought NXT was a good and consistent show. Um, they continued building the women's division. The Dusty Classic started. We got Gargano versus Balor set up. Lee versus Strong set up. Ripley versus Storm set up. And it was overall consistent in the ring all night. So while it might not look like a greater special show on paper, I think that good, consistent, and effective TV will always be appreciated and wins out the night for me. I go NXT this week. Dynamite sucked. I'm just going to say it. It was not a good show. It, the only thing memorable was the Jericho Moxley segment. And even that went a little bit too long to me. The, the, the wrestling was fine. There was like nothing wrong with it, but it didn't have that blow away match or anything like that. And then it just had the flat out bad stuff with the the pentagon interference the the nightmare collective nonsense the the dark order stuff like we're comparing it to the nightmare collective uh stuff and so it doesn't look as bad as comparison but it still is not good stuff the the ddp promo wasn't good like it, it was definitely their weakest show. This is the first week where I just feel like this show was not good. I, I, it didn't have my interest for a lot of it. Like I was just watching. I was like, nothing feels like it's happening on this show. 
Um, NXT was was good, like not great. I, I do think they lost a little bit of momentum with the the essentially two weeks off. Um, now the the Christmas episode did have some matches, but they were pretty inconsequential. And then last week was just a, an award show. Um, so I do think they lost a little bit of momentum there. They tried to kind of get back and regain the momentum here with the the Keith Lee match and couple of the the dusty classic stuff and then uh, the embarrassment of riches in the the tag team division it wasn't anything bad on it i wouldn't say especially when you compare it to aew but at the same time there wasn't anything where it's like oh yeah this was really really strong go out of your your way to see it so i nxt won um but but neither show felt like they felt uh you know, previously where we're just praising both of them and it's really tough to pick. I don't feel like this was that tough to pick, but mainly because AEW was that bad to me compared to NXT where just like, oh, it blew them out of the water. It was just more of uh, AEW just wasn't a good show. NXT didn't do anything stupid that pissed you off was its big thing. Yeah, pretty much. So, uh, so that's the uh, head-to-head for the week. And Who wins the ratings? What's that? Who wins the ratings? Um... I this is a tough one. I, I kind of think AEW is going to end up winning just because, you know, NXT had that, they had that lower rating because of the best of last week. And I don't know, I don't know if there's going to be a big rush for people to jump back into it, maybe. I'm not saying that AEW is going to win because it was superior. It's just that I don't know if they're going to get a big bump from the 500 and whatever thousand they had to overtake AEW because I think AEW had a really strong show last week and that should retain in theory, retain their audience better. Yeah, I, I agree <laughs> that this, this definitely feels like an AEW week simply because of last week where AEW's show was very strong and NXT just did an award special. So, you know, what do you, what do you really expect out of that? I think next week is almost more interesting because NXT showed like, all right, we're back, we're consistent, we're good. This felt like a AEW show that ran off um, viewers, yeah. especially some of their their core their core fans who who want nothing to do with this Nightmare Collective and Dark Order stuff. I agree completely. Yeah, I think next week will definitely be more telling because this was it's just some of the stuff on this show was very off putting. I think for the core audience they're going after, and I mean. You know, someone's some people are to say, well, it's not just the you know people like you that want the show to be a certain way, and it's like, yeah, you know what? But I also think people don't like stupid shit, and the fucking nightmare collective, I, NXT. Like I said, there was nothing spectacular about NXT, but it was consistent, it was good, and it was an effective show. It set up things that you have the Dusty Classic continuing next week and stuff like that, and it's just. Yeah, I Yeah, I think AEW wins, but it'll be a very hollow victory as the show is not very good. So Anything else to add before we It's a marathon, it? not a sprint. That's right. All right. Are you done with your ratings talk now? Yeah, I'm done with the ratings talk. All right. Well, ratings are very important. That's what everyone wants to talk about, Larry. All right. Well, fair enough. Okay, <laughs> so in closing, we do have one last thing to talk about. Um for everybody, we just want to let you know that uh, he'll probably appear later on, but for, for the time being, this is going to be Jeremy's last show as a uh, regular co-host. Uh, 
Jeremy, you can elaborate as much as you want, but Jeremy's going to be going on and doing some other things and spending time, more importantly, with his wife. So there will be a little bit of changes going forward. I'll be having some other people on, maybe some solo shows from time to time. But uh, Jeremy, I do want to thank you for all the time, which has been a lot of time that you've put in. And you are my friend and everything, and I greatly appreciate it. And I, I will miss talking to you every week. Well, I mean, we can still talk. You have my phone number. So it's not like we, we don't have to stop talking. Um, You're dead to me, Jeremy. God damn it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, my schedule is changing with a lot of things and I, I have to unfortunately cut back in some areas. And, and this is an area where I, I felt I, I had to cut back, unfortunately. And it has nothing to do with Larry, obviously, because Larry is, as he said, we, we are good friends. I've watched the G1 at Larry's house and stayed over plenty of times. So I, I hope we're not losing any type of friendship off of that. No, um, good buddy. Uh, but yeah, I, I just had to make some changes to my overall schedule and spending time with my wife is very important. Having my, my mental time and my downtime is also very important to me as well. And I don't feel like I got enough of that, uh, throughout 2019. And so I'm, I'm changing that for the better in 2020 as well. Uh, I do want to thank Larry for just having me on this show every week because it's, it's fun to talk to Larry, guys. Larry, I will say it every single time. No one reviews as much wrestling as consistently, as fairly as, as Larry does. I, I think he is the absolute best when it comes to that. His worth, work ethic is second to none. I know he doesn't sleep. I've seen the man not sleep. Uh, so I love talking wrestling with Larry because I know he knows what the fuck he's talking about. And sometimes I don't feel like I know what I'm talking about. But um, yeah, it uh i i thank you for always allowing me on this show as i said anytime you you need me to to come back and make a guest appearance i have no problem doing that because i always enjoy talking to you i just gotta make a couple of changes and i want to thank everybody for listening because i you know i guess things are they're going well people keep tuning in to to hear us talk i, I know larry is the big draw but thank you everybody for for listening and, and tuning in because it's fun I, I like especially these wednesday shows these wednesday shows are maybe not tonight but you were fired up tonight, actually, so that that was fun. Uh, these Wednesday shows are are very fun. But uh, thanks everybody, and thank you again to to Larry and four one one. Even though I'm not leaving four one one, but thanks to just yeah everyone. And it, it it is a sad. We need to play. Leave the memories alone. I would, but I don't want to get nailed by the copyright police. <laughs> That's fair. So, but no, seriously, I, I do thank you. You are my buddy, and I'm gonna I'm gonna have to go Jerry Jones, I think, and have a sleepover to try to recruit new co-hosts. Because <laughs> apparently it worked with you, because you hung out, and my wife made you sweet tea, and we cooked for you, and you stayed here, and we watched the G1, and fuck, we went to Bell. Here's here's the best one. You guys probably don't understand. The best thing is Jeremy and I. We were friends, we were talking online, and we decided we were going to go to Bellator to cover it for 4 on one because it was here in Charlotte at the Bojangles Arena. Yeah. Not only did we go to Bellator to cover it, we went to Bellator on Valentine's Day. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's very true. We spent val we spent a Valentine's Day together watching fucking Bellator of of all things and 
Oh, I remember that terrible heavyweight fight. It looked where... like the two guys from the bar yeah. on a street fight. Yes, it was amazing. <laughs> they legitimately just picked two dudes at the bar uh, down the street and were just like, hey, we got a show tonight. You guys just want to come fight on it for 500 bucks? And they're like, yeah, sure. We will fight on this. Oh, what what a show that was. But yeah, we, we spent Valentine's Day together instead of, I don't know if I was dating my current wife at the time. You were, you were married, but uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We've had some good times, and hopefully plenty more to come. Jeremy has watched Frozen and Katy Perry with my daughters. and yeah, it's Fro- That's the only time I've watched Frozen was with with your, with you and, and your daughters. I'd never seen it before then, and I haven't seen it since. See? I'm, just, I'm putting smiles on people's faces is what I do. Pitch Perfect? I'd seen that plenty of times. <laughs> oh, yeah, but I mean, that has great rewatch value, though. So. Yes, it does. <laughs> So, but no, in all honesty, like I said, thank you, Jeremy. I do appreciate it, man. And, um, yeah, he, he, Jeremy will be back at some point. It's just, it's not going to be, uh, as regular as we were doing. So that's going to wrap us up for tonight, everybody. Uh, this was a 411 on wrestling podcast. You can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google play, YouTube, the 411mania.com website, any major podcasting platform. Please make sure to subscribe to our show. Share us around on social media. Call your mom. Call your family. Call your granny. Post it on Facebook. Do something. Help a brother out. Get me to the pay window. We appreciate it. And uh, we will talk to you guys later on.